the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. SNC.TV. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers Sweet land of liberty of the Arsene. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday. It's the 18th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And it is all coming to fruition everything we predicted, everything we talked about, everything we told you about who they are and what they do is being played out in real time before our very eyes. Hamas, terrorists killing Palestinians in Gaza and blaming it on Israel. I started talking about this, what, nine days ago. Not that I'm alone in this. A lot of people get it. And a lot of people know what's happening. It's just that Too many of these people are on college campuses and in college classrooms. Too many of these people are out at pro-Palestinian rallies. Too many of these people are out there demonizing, excuse me, demonizing and blaming Israel to know the reality of it, to know the truth. But some of us do, and some of us have been watching, some of us have been speaking, some of us have been posting, some of us have been sharing, and I hope you're among them. 
This was as predictable as night following day and day following night. It was as predictable as anything you can say. That once they attacked Israel and made Israel the victims, which of course they are, 1,400 deaths, 4,000 plus injured, couple hundred kidnapped, many tortured, many beheaded, many burned alive. Once they made Israel the victim and gave Israel some small sense of, of um, sadness on behalf of the international community, because most of the international community is anti-Semitic and hates Israel as well, particularly in the Arab world. But once Israel attained victim status for the horrible victimization that they suffered, they knew the next step was to turn it around and make Israel the enemy, make Israel um, appear to be the bloodthirsty savages that they themselves are. It's kind of like Democrat projection of some of their greatest uh, uh, weaknesses and flaws projecting it onto Republicans. It happens a lot. The media is very, very ably assisting them in such things. That's what Hamas and the Palestinians here in the United States and in other places around the world, that's what they do. They project their own evil bloodlust on their enemies, blaming them for it. Israel has to be the villain. And indeed, everyone is so quick to believe that is exactly what they are. Not everyone, I should say, but those in the circles that I just described. Once Israel got attacked as viciously as they did, Hamas and Islamic jihadists and Hezbollah and Iran, they all knew what the next step would be. Again, excuse me. They all knew that Israel was going to strike. They were going to strike fast and they were going to strike hard. And they were going to do what Israel always does, which is attempt to precision strike Hamas military targets, military installations, bases, from which they fire rocket attacks and missile attacks into Israel. They were going to come hard, and they knew that the best way to deal with the Israeli response is to kill a bunch of Palestinians, then blame it on Israel. Turn it all around. Make the international community condemn Israel for being bloodthirsty killers of children and women and innocent people in something like, you know, um, a, a hospital. Kill Palestinians. Hide behind them. Use them as shields from Israeli responses. Then take pictures and video of the dead and say, look what Israel did. Now do you agree with us? Now do you agree that we should wipe them off of the map? Look what they've done. It is sad and pathetic that so many actually believe that propaganda. But they do. That's the reality of it. A hospital was indeed blown up in Gaza yesterday. Instantaneously, the media jumped on it. First of all, of course, Hamas and Arab sources jumped on it, and it said Israel blew up a hospital, killed over 500, many or most of them children. That's what they told us. That's what they told the international community. Was it true? Of course it wasn't true. But when does truth matter when it comes to 
left-wing ideology and left-wing media. When does truth matter? Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. What, what I just told you didn't just come from the Hamas propaganda minister. It was front page, top of the fold, bold-faced New York Times. Israel strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. Those last two words are simply add-ons. The headline is, Israel strike kills hundreds in hospital. Later, later in the same day on the New York Times uh, uh, webpage, the headline was altered slightly. At least 500 dead in strike on Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. A little bit later in the same day, New York Times changed its headline to at least 500 dead in blast at Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. You do see the, the slight changing of the story. The New York Times was only so quick and so glad to be able to report Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital. Don't verify the source or anything. Don't verify the, the accuracy of the report. Don't consider the source being Palestinians in Gaza which are run by Hamas. Don't verify that at all. Just run it. If we have to issue a slight alteration later, fewer people will see that than we'll see the headline, Israel strike kills hundreds in hospital. But then as the evidence of a misfired, errant rocket fired by Palestinians is what struck that they fired it was supposed to go from Gaza to Tel Aviv but like 30 to 40% according to the experts on the ground 30 to 40% of rockets and missiles fired from Gaza to Israel fall short they fall short they misfire they go errant. They don't make their destination, and often 30 to 40% of them fall at and hit targets inside Gaza. From Gaza to Gaza. Then later, of course, altering it even more, not even calling it a strike anymore. First Israeli strike, then just strike on Gaza Hospital, then uh, blast. Uh, at least 500 dead in blast at Gaza Hospital. Once they found out, the truth, but they didn't stop and, 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 and gather the truth. They had to be first with the salacious anti-Israel headline. That's what they do. Hamas immediately blamed Israel. So did the paper of record, the old gray lady. And what has been the response of this errant rocket, which, by the way, has been confirmed, confirmed, by time-stamped video and time-stamped correspondence, audio recordings of Hamas leadership. Do you understand this? It's very important to understand this. The time-stamps of the IDF radar footage, which is video of the rocket attack, which is standard policy. It's what they do, and, and how sad is it that they have to have a standard policy on how to record and how to track incoming rockets from a neighboring country? How sad is that? 
I want you to just ponder life like that. That's a norm for us. We track the rockets, where they're going, where they're headed, because we have to get people into uh, uh, bomb shelters. That's how Israel lives. That's how Israelis live. And not just Jews, but the Christians and others who are there as well. And Arabs. That's how they are. So the, and just to kind of, just to really finish that, you know, to get a sense of how Israelis live, I want you to try to picture a Jewish family living in a, um, in a neighborhood. And every house that borders their house, in other words, their neighbors to the left, their neighbors to the right, their neighbors across the street, and their neighbors behind them, right, are Nazis or neo-Nazis. That's all you live by, and they are constantly throwing stuff at your house. Imagine a Jew being a Jewish family, and they're constantly throwing stuff at your house, sometimes even firing guns through your windows. You don't know if your kids are going to be hit, so you have to establish rules about staying down and outside of the, you know, the, uh, the line of sight from the windows. When you go outside, you have to make sure that you arm up. And that you have to wear body armor to protect yourself because people around you are constantly hating you. They want you to die. They don't like your existence in their neighborhood. They don't like your existence on this earth. They don't think you deserve to live. Imagine being that family. Because that's Israel's existence. Their enemies are on all sides. Their neighbors to the south, to the north, and to the east all hate them. And yes, they're neighbors to the west, because Gaza is on the western uh, uh, edge of Israel. So literally, they are surrounded by people who hate them and don't think they deserve to exist. So they have to come up with these, these methods of trying to protect themselves and to prove when they're being attacked to the international community in the hopes that someday the United Nations and the rest of the international community will stop being anti-Semitic and also supporting of their, uh, you know, hatred, or, or hating them, I should say, and supportive of their, their demise. That's their existence. And if you want to put it another way, let's go back to 1940 and pretend that a black family lives in a house that's surrounded on their left and their right by homes of KKK members right across the street, directly across from them, another family of KKK members, and behind them, another family of Ku Klux Klan members. And every so often, they lob, I don't know, Molotov cocktails at the house. Or fire, uh, fire guns at the house. You understand what I mean? The hatred of the Jews by those who live all around them puts them in constant jeopardy. And when they fight back to defend themselves, the media, the international community, all condemn them for daring to defend themselves. Try to picture that. In 1859, the footage shows a rocket aimed at Israel misfired and came down directly on the roof of a hospital. They had one job, these these murderers, and that is to fire their rocket from Gaza into Israel. It didn't make it to Israel. It landed in Gaza on hospital. What should the response be? What must the response be? Israel did it. Tell the world Israel did it. They'll believe it. Tell the United States Israel did it. The New York Times publishes it. 
We are talking about the worst type of evil. They are willing to kill their own people. First of all, using them intentionally as human shields. And then secondly, when they do try to kill Jews with rockets into Israel, but they accidentally kill Palestinians, they, they kind of take some glory in it because, first of all, those individuals who died were all martyrs. They're all going to heaven with Allah. And second of all, their dead bodies and the burning building, the burning hospital, gives us propaganda to use against Israel. This is the evil that we face. And it's why we in the United States should, must, defend Israel. And that means in terms of support, and that means in terms of military assistance as well. This is very, very, that doesn't mean we put boots on the ground. But this is something that is very, very different and, quite frankly, far more important than the Ukraine situation. Now, having said all of that, let's get this in. The Arab world does not want Gaza refugees coming to them. Let me say that again. The Arab world is rejecting, rejecting Gaza refugees. The Gaza refugees are the Palestinians that everybody is so worried about Palestinian civilians getting hurt in Israel's ground invasion. Israel is telling them, get out. Get out now if you're a civilian and you're not Hamas. We're not coming for you. We're coming only for Hamas. If you are not Hamas, if you are a civilian, get out. We're giving you warning before we invade. We give you warnings before we, we, we uh, 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 use uh, bomb strikes at military installations. We give you warnings. We don't want to hurt you. Get out. And so the Palestinian people who are not necessarily members of Hamas try to get out, and they try to flee. They become what? Refugees, seeking refuge in surrounding Arab countries. Except there's only one problem. The Arab countries don't want them. None of them. Egypt will not take them. Jordan will not take them. Lebanon will not take them. Qatar will not take them. The Arab countries don't want them. Why? Well, as former U.N. ambassador and current presidential candidate Nikki Haley says, because, quote, they don't want Hamas in their neighborhood. She's right. Those Arab nations don't want Hamas in their neighborhood because Hamas is dangerous. And yet the same presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, went on CNN on Sunday and declared that the United States should take in Gaza refugees. You follow that? Arab nations won't even step up and take other Arabs because they don't want Gaza to be, or they don't want Hamas to be included among them. Yet Nikki Haley thinks we should be able to somehow figure out who's Gaza, or excuse me, who's a, yeah, who's a Gaza refugee, who's just a civilian who doesn't want to be a part of Hamas any more than the Americans do, and who actually is Hamas and supportive of the jihad and supported, supportive of the mission to wipe Israel and America off the map. The Nikki Haley for president campaign may have just ended. And if it doesn't, it probably should. And I hate saying that because there are some good things about her campaign. But this is disqualifying. She is in two separate interviews saying we should understand, quote, there are so many of these people in Gaza who want to be free from this terrorist rule. They want to be free from all of that. 
and she has endorsed a plan to house up to one million Palestinians from Gaza in the United States. Then, in a separate interview, she said, the reason the Arab countries don't want Gaza refugees is because they don't want Hamas in their neighborhood. <laughs> wow. This is, this, is, this is what we're dealing with. This, this is something, by the way, just to, presidential politics, it should be disqualifying. That is extraordinary, especially considering the fact that Nikki Haley's foreign policy cred as a United Nations ambassador, former United Nations ambassador, ambassador was probably one of her strongest uh, points as a candidate. And now I think she has completely destroyed that. And oh, by the way, I should also point this out. While the Arab nations surrounding Gaza and Israel don't want Gaza refugees coming in because they don't want Hamas in their neighborhood, I wonder if they would uh, be willing to look at Israel and say, hey, Israel, maybe we understand it now. Israel doesn't want Hamas in their neighborhood either, which is exactly why they have to go into Gaza and wipe them out. All right, that's a lot right off the top, but there's a lot to talk about and a lot to explain and a lot to process, and I hope we're able to process it together. We've got a very important show. We've got a lot of guests coming up starting in the 10 o'clock hour. The next half hour is open. I've got more info to share with you about the latest in the war that we might be being dragged toward. Um, but I also want to hear from you at 216 let us do our pledge and take a time out. Patriots, stand and face your flag and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all Sorry for the static. Uh, we'll fix that and come. Price nobody. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Coming up in about a half an hour, um, we're going to talk to Jason D. Hill. Jason Hill is a uh, professor at DePaul University. We've had him on before. He's a brilliant, brilliant scholar. And uh, an analyst, and he has a piece out now asking if Israel will do what it takes to secure peace. Well, what does what does it mean to secure peace? That's what we're going to talk to him about because the answer is war, right? I mean, we're being if we're being one hundred percent honest, peace usually comes after a period of war, and if the the enemy will not allow you to live peacefully and instead expects you to die forcefully, the only response to achieve peace is to is to wage war. It's a very, very important piece. He, moral reflections on Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Dresden, and now Gaza. Those are all moments, the first three anyway, in which civilian casualties were guaranteed, lots of them, but in an attempt to win the war and thus bring the peace, it needed to be done. What about Gaza? What about Gaza? Those are very real questions that I think uh, need to be answered. We're going to talk to uh, Jason Hill about that. Coming up at 1035, Jerry Serino, state senator, is going to join us. As you know, he's got an important bill in the um, 
uh, in the Ohio General Assembly uh, from the Senate uh, that has already passed the Senate. I don't know where it's uh, at in the House now, but hopefully it's going to be passed very, very soon about bringing diversity of thought to college campuses and getting rid of diversity, inclusion, and equity as only about being about skin color and sexual preference and all kinds of other things. He's worried about what's going on in college campuses, and he is very worried about the fact that pro-Palestinian marches are happening at campuses all over Ohio and all over the, sta- all over the country, quite frankly. So we'll talk to him at 1035. Then at uh, 1110 this morning, uh, Colonel Kurt is going to be back with us. Kurt Schlichter, senior columnist for townhall.com, a regular guest host for uh, Hugh Hewitt as well. Colonel Kurt is going to call us to uh, talk about his article on Town Hall, Why We Are Sitting Ducks and Our Leaders Do Not Care. That's a very important uh, conversation to be had. So is this one. Um, as we continue to watch war, and by the way, uh, let me give you just brief mention of the obvious. Yesterday, uh, Jim Jordan was uh, not able to secure the 217 votes he needed to be Speaker of the House because 20, no less than 20 Republicans, uh, like Democrats, I guess. Uh uh-huh. Is there another way to see it? Democrats reunited all 212 of their voters uh, in Congress, supported uh, the minority leader, uh, Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, but the Republicans, and about seven or eight of them voted for McCarthy, even though McCarthy is not an option anymore. About seven eight or eight of them voted for Scalise, even though Scalise is not an option anymore. Uh, a handful voted for, quote, other, somebody else. Uh, but Jordan needs 217 votes. He didn't get them. He fell way short. Uh, and so the question becomes, is Jim Jordan going to keep his name in this thing? They're going to have another vote today. He'll give it a shot. He was trying to whip up uh, support yesterday, uh, and he'll give it a shot. But I I question, and this is solely a gut feeling about Jim Jordan and his pride, he's not going to beg to be speaker the way Kevin McCarthy did in January. He's not going to... Uh, you know, go through 15 different votes and then have to cut back room deals and, you know, give up uh, things like, uh, you know, single member motion to vacate the speakership like McCarthy did. I, I don't think he would do that. He's not desperate for this power the way McCarthy was. He's willing to serve. He wants to serve in the way that helps the country the best, in the way that helps the Congress the best. And if that means speaker, he will do it. He will go hard for it. He's an athlete. I'm sure he's an athlete, competitive mode right now. And I'm sure he really, really wants to win this because he doesn't like to lose. When you don't become a world-class wrestler, multiple state champion wrestler, multiple national champion wrestler at Wisconsin, and then a, uh international Olympic competitor as well, you don't get to be that if you like losing. He abhors losing. But I don't think he will beg uh, these holdouts to to save his speakership push. And that means the Republican Party is is in absolute chaos. As I said yesterday, it's a clown show. I actually posted a little 30-second clip of, you remember the end of the Benny Hill show, in which somebody was chasing or being chased by somebody all over the place, just like straight-up clown show type things, just pure and utter chaos. I posted that as a live look at the uh, GOP trying to select a speaker, because that's exactly how it appears, while the yakety sax music plays behind. So the GOP house is in a shambles. And they have Matt Gates to thank for that. They have Matt Gates to thank for that. Not just Matt Gates, but Matt Gates was the only one who used that singular ability to vacate the speakership, make a motion to vacate the speakership and have that vote 
and then, of course, proceeded to attack McCarthy. And again, I am not in defense of Kevin McCarthy, and Kevin McCarthy is pretty much a rhino. Not as bad as Paul Ryan, but this is not about defending Kevin McCarthy. It's about presenting some sort of united front as a Republican conference so that we can win elections and win more of a majority, not the little tiny razor-thin majority we have right now. It doesn't help when we look like imbeciles, when we look like children at a fourth-grade you know, uh, recess trying to choose up teams and then crying when we don't get our way and then telling the team. I mean, I'm trying to think of metaphors here that work because that's what they look like. They look like all of them. But between Gates and the other seven, uh, it is a disaster, and it's a disaster of our own creation. And that is something that just needs to be exposed. It needs to be pointed out. Now, having said all of that, let's get back to this issue. Let's get back to the issue of what Nikki Haley is talking about here. Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, made it very clear. I played the clips for you yesterday that Nikki Haley is doing nothing but playing uh, political correct games, trying to win support, trying to win support from uh, the left and moderates by saying, well, we have to be able to separate Hamas terrorists from Gaza refugees. These are innocent civilians. They're not necessarily Gaza, you know, or excuse me, Hamas, uh, and they deserve an opportunity to, to save their own lives and to flee, you know, the persecution of being under Gaza or uh, Hamas rule in Gaza, and so we should take them in. It's insane. It's it's foolish. It is dangerous. And the fact that, as I said previously, um, Arab nations agree. Arab nations, Jordan, Egypt, they don't want them. They don't want the Gaza refugees because they don't want Hamas in the neighborhood, something that Nikki Haley herself also said. So she said they don't want them because they're too dangerous, but we should bring them to the United States because we need more dangerous people in this country. Don't. Uh, Ron DeSantis just blew that up. Blew it up. The reason why I said with the Gaza, I mean, one, you pointed out we have an open border. We have massive numbers of people flooding in. We have no idea who they are. Uh, so we just don't have the capacity to do it. But but also importantly, you know, bringing people in in mass numbers, you're also bringing in the culture that they're coming from and the pathologies in Gaza with how they're taught to hate Jews and all these other things. We don't want to be importing that uh, into our country. So when you have massive numbers uh, and you're importing them in, importing them in from cultures that are that are different from ours in ways that may clash with our values. You know that's not strengthening the United States. And so I look at these things as, you know, are these things benefiting our people or are they not? Clearly, when you talk about bringing in hundreds of thousands of people uh, from Gaza, that is not benefiting the United States of America. That would increase uh, anti-Jewish sentiment in this country and increase anti-Americanism. I don't want to be a part of that. That's um, spot on. By the way, the only other Republican presidential candidate to weigh in on this that I have heard so far is President Trump. President Trump agrees no Gaza refugees coming into the United States. That is the stand to take, and I think any other Republican candidate who does not echo that uh, is disqualified. Now, I'm not saying... 100% that Tim Scott thinks we should bring in Gaza refugees. I'm not saying Vivek Ramaswamy does or Christie or any of the rest of them, but I just know that I haven't heard any of them articulated. Maybe I missed it, but I haven't heard any of them articulated the way uh, DeSantis and Trump have done. That matters a lot because we have been far, far too trusting. We have been far too trusting 
that the people who are coming in here, you know, through Biden's open border, violating our sovereignty, oh, they're just they're just oppressed migrants looking for a better opportunity because they were impoverished in their own Central or Latin or South American countries, and, and they're all just here to look for a better life. We are so trusting. Well, not we, Biden, Democrats, leftists, they're so trusting until, of course, those who come in here kill and rape and pillage and plunder, and commit all kinds of atrocities. And then we say, why is that person in the country anyway? Well, because, you know, he thought that he was just a a regular old guy just uh, looking for an opportunity with his family. Yeah. There's a reason we have terror watch lists. There's a reason why we have uh, special uh, immigrant status for those who are trying to come into this country from countries that have the culture that Ron DeSantis just described. And yet here we sit. Biden is so trusting. And even if he's not, you know, even if he's not that foolish to be, quote, so trusting, he's willing to do that because the end game is bigger than a few American lives being lost from those who are coming in here with in- intent to do harm. The, big, the end game, of course, being more Democrat voters, which is what they believe will be the result. Now, speaking of Biden, let's give you the update on where he is. He's in Israel. And he has already, or he has either canceled or has had canceled on him multiple meetings with multiple Arab uh, leaders. They don't want to talk to him. They say, because it's a game changer, that Israel blew up at a Palestinian hospital in Gaza. And, of course, we know that did not happen. We covered that in the first half hour. But what we do know is that Biden is there to try to convince not the Arab leaders to change, but to convince Benjamin Netanyahu to go easy on the terrorists, on the jihadis. Robert Spencer wrote a great piece on jihadwatch.org yesterday talking about what this trip is all about. All this talk about making sure Israel avoids civilian casualties is a, casual, is a calculated insult. Israel, try to avoid as many civilian casualties as you defend your own civilians in going into Gaza because we don't want to make the, uh, the Arab world, the Muslim world even angrier. Take it easy on them. That's what this is. It, it looks like an explicit commitment from his Israeli counterpart to open Gaza for humanitarian aid. Biden wants to send humanitarian aid So does Tony Blinken into Gaza as a show of support for the civilians. But they, of course, know, we can't think they're so stupid as to not know, that that Hamas controls the flow of any goods, humanitarian aid, infrastructure, food, life-saving supplies. They control the flow of all of that, and they will, of course, confiscate all of that because they don't care if Palestinians die. Again, they blame it on Israel. They blame it on Jews. So they're, they're supplying Hamas with aid, humanitarian aid, uh, things that they can use. They're going to deny it from the Palestinian people. And Biden is over there trying to tell Netanyahu to go easy on the Palestinian people because, you know, these people don't want this anymore. They're not uh, supporters of Hamas. Well, why has Hamas been in charge for two decades? That's a great question, right? So while Biden is in Israel pleading with Netanyahu, while publicly saying, we support Israel, we have your back, the private pleading is, of course, take it easy on the civilians. And we see this all throughout the media as well. Take it easy on Palestinian civilians. 
And again, let's look at what other leaders are doing. Well, here's something. Governor Ron DeSantis, who spent several million dollars at his own discretion that the governor has access to in the Florida Emergency Fund to send planes to Israel to rescue and evacuate American citizens, is now loading up cargo planes with with humanitarian aid. Well, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, what's the difference? If Biden is sending humanitarian aid and DeSantis is sending humanitarian aid, aren't they doing the same thing? Why are you praising DeSantis for doing the same thing Biden is doing? No, 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 no. You don't understand. Biden is sending humanitarian aid to Gaza, which will be taken by Hamas. DeSantis is sending cargo planes full of supplies to Israel. Do you see the difference between failure and leadership? They sent two full cargo planes full of supplies, not for Gaza refugees, not for Gaza civilians, but for Israeli civilians. The Israelis who were attacked. Everybody forgot that on October 7th, the attack was on Israel. Everybody's so worried about the Gaza refugees, so worried about the Palestinian women and children, that Israel is going to so, so casually destroy in their, in their revenge and in their bloodlust. Nobody's thinking about the Israelis. Israel's civilians need assistance as well. 85 pallets of donated supplies from Florida to Israel. Two cargo jets filled. With the lack of leadership in Washington, we are stepping up to help our allies in Israel who are in need of supplies and our support, DeSantis said. As we continue to bring back Americans who were stranded in Israel when the war began, we will also keep sending the necessary health care supplies for Israel to care for those who have been injured. He's the only one doing this. Medical supplies included 735 ACE bandages, approximately 5,000 hospital gowns, 84 IV kits, 30,000-plus needles, 30,000-plus syringes, 57 ventilators, 10,000 boxes of surgical gloves, in addition to medical supplies, 1,000-plus children's toys, 300-plus sleeping bags, 1,000-plus hygiene products, 2,000-plus articles of clothing, all of the things that are needed in emergency times, including times of war, are being sent not by Joe Biden, Not by Tony Blinken, the Secretary of of State. Not by the United States federal government, but by a governor who knows that there are are needs over there that are not being met by the federal government. Does this look good for his presidential campaign? Sure it does. I'm not suggesting it doesn't. But But a lot of others could make their presidential campaigns look good by doing the right thing here, and they're not. He is. And I hope that matters to a lot of people. It should. So you have DeSantis filling cargo planes with supplies for Israeli victims. And I'm going to bring you home here with this one. When when I tell you that 85 pallets were filled and put on cargo planes and sent to the Middle East, it should ring a bell for you. It should bring back um, a memory of something. What did that sound like? Oh, I remember. Do you remember when... Barack Obama loaded up pallets on a cargo plane and sent it to the Middle East. What that was for? 
Barack Obama loaded up pallets not with supplies to go to our ally in Israel. He loaded up cargo planes with pallets of cash and sent it to Iran, the world's leading sponsor of terror, the leading state sponsor of terror. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because I told you I was going to bring this home. (laughs) Joe Biden has selected the man who orchestrated that cash drop on Iran to be his ambassador to Israel. Did Did you catch that? Joe Biden just chose as the new United States ambassador to Israel the man who orchestrated the pallets of cash being delivered to Iran. You you, you can't write this stuff. You can't make this up. This would be a twist in a Hollywood script that people would say, well, you got to edit that. That's stupid. Uh, the guy who who supported Iran and organized you know 1.7 billion dollars to a country that outsources terrorism um, becomes the ambassador to Israel from the United States. That can't be. Come on, no, it can and it is. Daily Caller reported yesterday, Joe Biden's nominee to be ambassador to Israel, Jack Lew oversaw the infamous pallets of cash transfer of funds to Iran while serving as former President Barack Obama's Treasury Secretary in 2016. Obama paid Iran nearly $2 billion in January of 16 to resolve a dispute dating back to the 1970s. As Treasury Secretary Liu oversaw the transfer of the initial $400 million payment on January 17th of 2016, which was delivered in the now infamous form of foreign cash carried on a number of pallets by aircraft, the pallets of cash incident became a frequent line of critic, a critique for those who uh, opposed Obama's policy toward Iran. The money for Iran came from the Treasury Department fund known as the Judgment Fund, which is money set aside by Congress to settle litigation disputes. Jack Lew is an Iranian sympathizer who has no business being the U.S. ambassador to Israel. End quote. That came from Republican uh, Senator Tom Cotton. The Senate should not confirm him. I'll stop there and say, how is it possible for the Senate to even be able to consider him? How did Joe Biden, how could he be so tone deaf and blind to the realities of this current war situation? How can he possibly allow Jack Lew, who gave the cash to Iran, to be the ambassador to Israel? He doesn't have Israel's best interest in mind. He has Iran's best interest in mind. What, are you kidding me? This is a very bizarre time in our in our existence. A very bizarre time. It demands our attention. It demands our study. It demands our focus. And it demands our voices. We have to speak out. We have to make sure that our leaders know what we expect of them. And we have to be in solidarity, complete solidarity, solidarity and unity with our Jewish friends and all Israelis or those who have family, relatives, friends in Israel at this very precarious time. All right. That's all I can offer you for the moment. We're going to take a time out here. After the top of the hour break, we're going to talk to Jason Hill about whether or not Israel has the uh, intentions of doing what is necessary. Think Dresden, think Hiroshima, think Nagasaki. Uh, very, very difficult decisions were made, but that led to a longer-lasting positive outcome. Will Israel be willing to do that? Jason D. Hill will join us to talk about it next. 
America is kept safe because the Army National Guard responds, protects, and supports our nation when it needs them most. The Army National Guard responds to disasters such as wildfires and floods. They protect us with missile defense, cybersecurity, and civilian support teams for chemical, biological, and radiological hazards. Be there for your community and your country. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Seven minutes after 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway on this Wednesday, the 18th morning of the 10th month, year of our Lord, 2023. I'm getting an echo if we can fix that. Okay, it's gone. Thank you. Um, we laid out a lot for you in the first hour, a lot of information. Joe Biden is in, uh, is in Israel. He is uh, believed to be, I, I firmly, firmly believe, um, trying to convince the Israelis to be a little bit cautious, trying to convince Benjamin Netanyahu, go a little easy on them. Of course, you have a right to defend yourself, and we'll always say publicly we have your back, but try not to kill too many uh, Palestinians and uh, civilians in Gaza. Uh, The Palestinians, of course, who elected and who uh, are essentially governed by Hamas, didn't have any such concern for Israeli citizens. The question is, is what should the rest of the world do? How should the rest of the world view this? If there is a large uh, collateral damage issue from the Israeli response in Gaza, is that the fault of the Israelis, or is that the fault of, the, of, the, uh, of Hamas and of the Palestinians? Who is responsible? Who has the moral obligation to protect its citizens? Those who hide behind human shields? Those who store rockets and and missiles and munitions in hospitals and in schools and then launch from those positions knowing that return fire will then target and hit hospitals and schools? Giving them more fuel for their propaganda campaign against the evil Jews and the evil Israelis? Who has the moral responsibility for all of that? These are some of the questions asked and answered, I think, beautifully by Professor Jason D. Hill. Professor Hill uh, is a professor of philosophy at DePaul University. He's a Shulman Journalism Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. His latest book is called What Do White Americans Owe Black People Racial Justice in the Age of Post-Oppression? But he's writing about Israel and the war with the uh, with the with Hamas and uh, and a larger effect uh, Muslim terrorists around the world. Uh, Professor Hill, good to have you back here in Cleveland, Ohio. It's been a little bit, but I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for the time. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's great to be back. So everybody within the sound of our voices knows Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You write about this in your article, um, and probably most of them know about Dresden, but but that's less certain. Tell. Tell us um, about the Dresden bombing from nineteen in 1945 and how you use it along with Hiroshima and Nagasaki to illustrate a point here about what the Israeli response should look like. Well, we know when we are faced with an intractable, unbreakable evil that Nazi Germany was, that we have to use certain means to vanquish the enemy, which is the purpose of war. 
Dresden was seen as the last resort, the bombing of Dresden, which claimed hundreds of thousands, about thousands of civilian lives. But it was the last resort to break the Nazi machinery. And a few months later, the Nazi regime fell. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a physicist and a political theorist, and this is an example that we use in my class all the time. Was that a moral use of force? And I always say yes, because the purpose of a war is to vanquish the enemy and also to inflict generational damage on the enemy to make sure that future generations are deprived of their war capabilities to inflict future wars and damage on the victim. So I think the case is happening in Israel that his, um, Gaza was unilaterally handed over to Hamas in 2005, and they've been ruling since 2006. And the way they have paid back Israel is to fire rockets from the day that it was unilaterally handed over. And they've never stopped. They've never stopped killing Israelis. They've never stopped firing rockets into Israel. And uh, the covenant of Hamas calls for the elimination of Jewry from the region, from the world, and the establishment of a global caliphate. So when you have the constitutive feature of one's identity being the elimination of Jewry, you have to wipe out, you have to obliterate, I'm arguing, entirely the infrastructure of that base. And that, unfortunately, when you're eventually ending, that's going to include civilians because those are part of the home invaders that constitute Hamas. Professor, um, let's um, let's talk a little bit more about the moral purpose of war. As you say correctly, I believe, to totally vanquish the enemy. And compare that to what we are hearing from some of uh, what is supposed to be Israeli allies here in the United States, members of Congress calling for only a proportional or proportionate response um, in Gaza. In other words, uh, they don't want to totally vanquish Hamas. They don't want to create generational damage, as you say, or, or, or establish generational victory to stop future generations of the same uh, terrorists from from carrying out new attacks. They only want it to be proportionate. In other words, they want Israel to be a little bit mad, but not mad enough to to you know essentially wipe out all of Gaza, as Benjamin Netanyahu has said. What message do you have for those individuals? And they actually introduced a resolution, eight of them, calling for President Trump, or excuse me, President Biden, uh, to uh, encourage a ceasefire in the region from both sides of this whole thing. What message do you have for them as it pertains to uh, their call for proportionate response? I would say, get with, understand one thing, that, and this is something that is inherent, I think, Bob, in liberalism, that liberals, in the good sense of the term, good, the, good, the good liberals, that is, people who, I'm not talking about Democrats, I'm just talking about liberals um, who respect individual rights, going back to 19th century classical liberalism, have a problem with evil. I would say to these people, understand that real, the devil is real, Satan is real, evil really, really exists in the world. These people have uh, an awful time grappling with the fact that intractable, irrevocable evil exists in the world and needs to be eliminated and terminate the fantasy that short of a complete elimination of Gaza, 
there can be peace in the You cannot have peace without an entity, Hamas, that has its covenant or its charter. The elimination of Jewry in its charter, a refusal to negotiate with Israel, at least the PA, Palestinian Authority, which is another thug <laughs> terrorist organization, at least they have modest territory somewhat. But Hamas, you cannot deal, you cannot modify a war where part of the covenant calls for non-negotiation, non-recognition of Israel, and the elimination of jury. There, people have to terminate this fantasy. Lot of people's fantasy is a lot of anti-Semitism and a lot of refusal to acknowledge the biblical right of Israel to its rediscovery. I don't use the word creation because there was no creation of the state of Israel in 1948 as far as I'm concerned. There was the refounding of Israel in 1948, which, mm-hmm. you know, goes back to 1900 BC when Abraham was chosen by God as the father of the Jewish nation and Isaac ruled over Israel. And we can go through the timeline um, to the destruction of Israel and the destruction of Judah and the Persian conquering of the Babylonian taking takeover of Israel. And there's a long timeline that people should just read. We are, uh, yes, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad you're giving us a, a little bit of that. Uh, obviously, it's hard to do a full timeline on a radio interview. But has, I, yeah. I, yeah, but I do I do see exactly what you were saying. We're talking with Professor Jason D. Hill from the University of or DePaul University, is I guess the right way to say it. Uh, he's also a Shulman Fellow, uh, Journalism Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Um, you talk about the morality of an attritional war against Hamas as well in your article, um, because it puts, you know, Israelis in jeopardy as well, talking about IDF soldiers. Um, if they go into a protracted ground war against Hamas, Hamas continues to get funding and munitions and so forth from, from Iran. You also have the concern of Hezbollah, which has a very, very, uh, sophisticated ability to strike within, uh, uh, from, you know, from southern Lebanon into northern Israel and even, quite frankly, into all of Israel. They have a lot more power and capability, from what I understand, than Hamas does. So if they do go on into this, you know, attritional war in Gaza, they, they essentially are now going to be fighting a war on two different fronts from two different types of Islamic, uh, terrorist enemies. Um, how much should that play into their decision here to strike back after that horrific, uh, uh, attack on October 7th? I think they have a moral imperative, a moral duty to strike quickly and swiftly because the longer they wait and the longer they allow that war to be micromanaged by Joe Biden and the, the Biden administration which and the whole world, which has been telling Netanyahu and the Israeli government how to fight its war. This is really Professor, professor, I, I apologize. I can't hear a lot of what you're saying right now. We have a lot of broken uh, audio here. It's uh, it's uh, staticky. I want to put you on hold for a moment here. In fact, let me take a quick uh, time out here. Let's reestablish the connection with Professor Hill. What he's saying now is very important, and I don't want it to be muddied uh, in the ears of the listeners as well as myself. So we'll take a short time out and come back with Professor Hill after this. The answer.
Okay, let's continue now. At uh, ten twenty-two, we have uh, we had a little bit of a connection issue with Professor Jason D. Hill as we we're discussing what Israel's response should be uh, to the attacks from uh, Hamas and now potentially from a protracted war, both in uh, Gaza and dealing with Hezbollah. Of course, both of which are proxies for Iran. So, Professor Hill, you were starting to talk about the need to strike quickly and uh, and 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 with strength, so that there isn't a protracted war that does put more IDF soldiers in jeopardy than are necessary. Necessary. Please pick that up from there. Right. I, I think that's it's. Is, is this is this clearer? Can you hear me now? Yes, you sound way better. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Great. No, I think it's 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 very very important, and nothing makes me angrier than seeing Joe Biden and the whole world tell Israelis how to fight their their wars, how to set up humanitarian centers within Gaza. This is just another way of strategically crippling the Israeli army, the IDF. Um, and making them fight some sort of pseudo-altruistic war. So I think they have to strike ruthlessly and, and, and swiftly to eliminate Gaza and, and, and obliterate Gaza. And um, because the, the threat of Iran uh, is looming, and the Israelis and her allies might need to really sort of also strike at, at Iran, not just Hezbollah, but strike ruthlessly at Iran which is something that might have been, should have been done a long time ago. But, you know, Bob, I do want to say one thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much time we have left, but I want to say that it really, really shakes me as, as, a, as a Christian, uh, someone who is an atheist and has converted to Christianity's Christian roots, um, that Islam seems to have a coercive monopoly on the moral consciousness of people that were seeing all these Palestinian rallies and it's not just anti-Semitism, it's anti-Judeo-Christianity that we're seeing on full display in America and in parts of America and across the world against the people who were the giver of law. So I think a lot of this is rooted in resentment against morality itself. And this is something that really we, we have to really truly understand when we're grappling with the overwhelming support of the Palestinians and Hamas and the attacks against Israel and the attacks against what I call Christophobia, the the, the show of anti-Christianity, is really, really disturbing. And we really have to marshal our support behind Israel because it is the only beacon of light in a very, very dark region of the world, a very primitive dark region of the world. That is uh, that is accurate, and we have been covering a lot of the college campuses and uh, a lot of the pro-Palestinian and the anti-Israel uh, rallies that are going on across this country every single morning. And um, uh, in fact, you work at the you know DePaul University. What are you seeing on your own campus? Well, I'm I'm away from the campus and teaching online because I'm taking care of my my mother. Actually, I'm in Jamaica right now, taking care of my mother who has cancer. Um, but I do keep up, and you must remember that I have a lawsuit against my university because a couple of years ago I wrote a very pro-Israel article defending Netanyahu's rights to a next Judean scenario, and I was censured for that article. And I got received a lot of death threats, and uh, and the students of justice in Palestine took over buildings, and, and there were chants against me, and I was having 
centuries. I do, I do recall that. Yeah, and I do recall the lawsuit, and we t- we discussed it. Uh, uh, but I wasn't sure if you were aware. Uh, first of all, I did not know you were not on campus, though. So thank you for that clarification at the moment. But are you aware of how uh, you know this is being this is being handled on campus? Are there student groups doing some of the things we have seen at Harvard and a lot of the Ivies and some of the other universities around the country that are uh, that are pro you know essentially pro Hamas? If you're going to be pro Palestinian. I don't think it's as bad as some of the other schools. I was disappointed that the university had not come up with a statement condemning the atrocious massacre of, of, of Israelis and Jews um, last week. Um, but um, I, I'm not really aware of any sort of mass protest. Okay. I want to go back to what you said about, um, you know, if Israel does not move quickly, they're going to end up being guided by Joe Biden. And uh, why do you think they are delaying this invasion, this ground invasion? For the last three days, and in fact, even last last week, uh, somewhat, I was talking about the gathering of forces. They're calling up 300,000 uh, reservists to get ready to serve and get ready to invade. And, uh, you know, they're, they're marshalling all of their forces at the border, ready to go into Gaza, and it's still a holding pattern. Why do you think they are delaying? Because they know that the civilian casualties are going to be astronomical, and they are deathly afraid, I think, Bob, of the moral recrimination and the reprisals from the, from the world. And they, are, they have very little moral support from the U.N., zero support from the global community, from the U.N., but but why 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 do you think it is, Professor? Though, and this is, and I, I agree with you. By the way, I'm just frustrated by it because they are doing everything they can. They're warning civilians: if you are not Hamas, we are not targeting you. We're targeting Hamas. We are going to root them yeah. out uh, and and have to do so. So please get out. And so they're like, okay, let's get out. Except Egypt says, nope, you can't come here. Jordan says, nope, you can't come here. You know, uh, Syria. None of the none of the other Muslim nations or Arab nations are willing to take in their fellow Arabs to protect them from this strike back by by Israeli forces. So what does that say? I and mean, who does the blame really lie with? Well, the responsibility lies with Israel to, to reclaim the moral high ground and to, to do what is right. But my sympathies lie with Israel because we are, we are living in a fallen time when the enemy, that is this, this pagan religion, that is Islam, um, has superseded the moral conscience of people, good people I know, who are saying, I have no comments about what happened on, on that Saturday. And I said, what do you mean you have no comments? I'm not going to take a position. And these are, these are people that I thought were, were Christians or, or, or just good, moral, upstanding people. So we are living in a time where we're seeing that the moral conscience of people um, has, has been usurped by dark forces. I mean, I know I'm sounding kind of weird. And I, I hope no, not you're not. Listen, no, you're not. No, you're spot on. Usurped by... by very used by dark forces that have uh, compromised their judgment in a situation that I think is very, very black and white. But um, their judgments have been usurped and their, their moral conscience have been hijacked by, by, uh, by sentiments that have been building over time that has painting, painted Israel as an apartheid, evil state. Um, when it has been uh, a safe haven for many, many disenfranchised people all across the world, not just not just Israelis from across the world, but right. many, many groups. Well. 
professor i want to i want to uh, we're out of time here but i want to uh, in, uh, assure you um what you are saying right now is you know the part that people are afraid to say out loud there is good there is evil there is darkness and uh, and what we are talking about is exactly that i think there's nothing wrong with calling it the way that it is professor jason d hill a professor at DePaul university of philosophy his book by the way is most recent is what do white americans owe black people racial justice in the age of post-depression but he is always writing about this situation in the middle east on his Substack as well. Follow him there, Jason Damian Hill, jasondamianhill.substack.com, and educate yourself on what's going on. Professor, I appreciate you coming on and saying what needs to be said. Thank you for taking the time, and I hope to talk soon. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. God bless you. All right, it's 1031. We're a little late. We'll come back with uh, Jerry Serino, State Senator Jerry Serino, who's got some thoughts on what's going on on campuses regarding this issue. The answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1035. Thanks again to Professor Hill. I did not realize I was speaking to him today from Jamaica, uh, but that's where he was. Perhaps that explains why we had some of the distortion and the static on the line. But uh, he uh, he is a brilliant writer. He is a true Christian, and he believes, and I concur with him, uh, that it is it is incumbent upon all of us Christians to support our Jewish friends um, and support the state of Israel unapologetically and unreservedly. Uh, do not be ambiguous about this. There is no moral equivalence between Hamas and radical Muslim terrorists and the free Jewish state of Israel. There is no moral equivalence if indeed... Um, there are civilian casualties in Gaza. It does not equate to what was done unprovoked by Hamas to the Israelis on October 7th. They have a right not only to defend themselves, they have a right to make sure that no such attack ever happens again. And that means rooting out every element of Hamas from Gaza. Uh, it means truly ripping them out root and branch. And um, and we they have to have our support. I concur with Professor Hill. All right. There are some people who disagree with that. Sadly, many of them are on our college campuses across the country and here in the state of Ohio as well. Pro-Palestinian and anti-Semitic groups trying to blame Israel for the attack and in many cases to deny that any of the atrocities even happened. They are all over the place, just like the Holocaust deniers. Now we have the, uh, the uh, uh, assault on the state of Israel, the worst since the Holocaust, deniers as well. Many of them are in college classes. Many of them are teaching college classes. And joining us now to talk about that and more on what's going on campus is Ohio State Senator Jerry Serino on AM 1420, The Answer. Senator, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good. I'm great, Bob. Thank you, and it's great to be back. It's good to talk to you. I know you've been watching this all very closely from some of our previous conversations, uh, Senator Serena, so I want to give you some some room here just to kind of talk about what you are seeing and how concerned you are about the pro-Hamas protests that are going on on campuses, including Ohio State, uh, including, uh, again, many, many across the country and including in our Buckeye State. Go ahead. Well, I, as, as everyone uh, has been, and I shouldn't say everyone, as many people have been uh, really uh, shocked uh, and chagrined by the campus responses on this, uh, this terrible event, um, it, it, should, it should be noted that uh, this has been festering for a long time on campuses. And I've been involved 
in higher education since I got to the Senate in trying to get across a number of reforms, Bob. And But I will tell you that what we're seeing now on campuses is, is not just demonstrations, because demonstrations have always been a part of campus life, I guess, back into the 60s, certainly. Agreed, yes. But what, what we're seeing here is the result of decades of, and, and, and currently as well, of, of, of professors who are socialist slash Marxist in their, in their belief system, uh, who have been uh, indoctrinating students, criticizing the United States, democracy, capitalism, uh, calling our country a colonial exploiter who should pay for the sins of the past. Those are all the things that, that are run in common with the response you're seeing today, uh, which is not an educated response, and that's because they have been taught, these students have been taught what to think, not how to think. Uh, and I think it's, it's just, you know, it's not free expression, it's hatred, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, condoning uh, inhumane acts. Uh, this is not a political issue on campus. This is an issue of, uh, of these students and many of their professors, and there have been many professors quoted already in the, in the uh, media who have, have called the Hamas attack uh, you know, uh, in very positive terms. They've called it a resistance. They've called it, uh, one professor at Cornell said it, that the attack was exhilarating and exciting. Uh, and of course, we all know about the Harvard students, uh, who have, uh, uh co-signed, um, uh, a letter from all 30 various organizations. Yeah, 31 um, different student they, groups I, representing hundreds. I don't know the exact number, but I'll say hundreds of, of Harvard students. And, uh, and oh, by the way, uh, there are calls now in some circles for their names to be released. The names of all these think, groups, uh, because, yeah. um, if you are pro Hamas, if you are pro terrorist, quite frankly, I think any potential employer that might consider hiring you out of Harvard should know that. Absolutely. And, and it, and it tells you about the character of the person. You know, it's, it's sure. not, uh, not hiring somebody because of a pure political belief. This is not a political issue. This is the condemnation of an act that was inhumane, genocidal. These organizations that these students are saying they support uh, have as their core mission the elimination of Israel, the elimination of, of, of the Jewish people, of their religion. Uh, that, is not a, that is not a matter of free speech and free expression. This is inciting violence, uh, and we will see and are, are already seeing some violence uh, uh, around the country. You know, I was I was delighted to see a letter yesterday from the Wexner Foundation that sent, was sent to Harvard to their board of trustees. They've had a long-standing relationship of sending uh, Israel's public leaders uh, for uh, uh, rigorous academic courses at Harvard at the Kennedy School, uh, and they have now severed all relationships uh, with Harvard as a result of uh, the activities, but with the students and the faculty expressing support for these horrific acts. Senator, let me ask you uh, this. Um, the the, the pro-Palestinian slash pro-Hamas uh, protesters aside, um, we have been a charitable people. We have been a nation that cares about other suffering. We have brought <laughs> refugees into this country from war zones across the world many, many times. <clears throat> And now there seems to be a call in some circles to bring Gaza refugees to the United States, considering the fact that uh, Israel is warning them to get out because they are coming for Hamas. They do want to minimize civilian casualties, but there's nobody in the Middle East willing to take them. Jordan, 
Egypt, Syria, they have all, which are all bordering Israel, um, they are all uh, refusing to take Gaza refugees. Some want to bring them here. Uh, some in the United States governments, a government wants to bring them here. Do you think it would be wise? Do you think we would be well served to have Palestinian refugees um, in the state of Ohio? I, I do not think it would be wise. I think it tells you a great deal about the other related neighboring Arab nations uh, in the Middle East who will not take these people. There's reasons why they won't take them. Uh, if they really cared about the Palestinians, uh, they would they would take them in, but they realize that uh, it, they will be bringing in many people who have been educated and indoctrinated and sworn to the elimination of Israel and uh, doing things that necessarily their governments might not agree with. Uh, the other part of it is that we we, we don't even know how to administer uh, our southern border today, uh, and who knows how many terrorists are are coming have come into the border uh, since the Biden administration opened things up here. Uh, so I think it would be a, a terrible idea. It, it also, we need to remind everybody that Hamas does not really care about the Palestinian people. If they did, they wouldn't have used Gaza as a base uh, to attack Israel. They would have been using their resources and energies to prepare to pre- uh, prepare a nice place for Palestinians to coexist with Israel in the, in Gaza. They don't care about them. That's why they. They put their headquarters uh, underneath hospitals, yeah. and that's why they, they put their armaments in, in, in uh, playgrounds in schools. If they really cared about the Palestinian people, they wouldn't do those things, and we all know they've been doing that historically. Well, it's not only, uh, Senator Serino, uh, a lack of caring for them. It's, it's intentionally you know, causing them to die. I mean, it, quite literally, they are human shields. They know that if they put these things here, Israel will strike where the, uh, you know, where the uh, rocket and missile attacks came from, and it's going to kill people in a school or in a, in a hospital and so forth. And then they get to you. First of all, they say, hey, don't worry, you're going to be martyred. It's, uh, it, it's all good for you when you die in this horrific attack from the, uh, you know, from the Zionists. You know, you're going you're gonna to go to be with Allah, you're going to be martyred, and that's a great thing. And then they get more fuel for their propaganda campaign against Israel to turn the rest of the world against them. So it's not just that they don't care about Palestinians, they're actively sacrificing them in order to advance their terror goals. That's right. And these students don't understand the history. I doubt whether the vast majority of students protesting could even find Gaza on a map. Not a chance. Okay? They, 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 because they've been taught what to think, not how to think. If they if they were taught how to think by, by good professors, and there are many good professors out there, I'm not painting everybody with the same brush, but uh, if they were taught how to think, they would analyze the situation. They would understand uh, how the Palestinians are being taken advantage of by Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran. Um, and, and again, I, this also relates to the feckless foreign policy that the Biden administration has executed relative to Iran. Iran the mullahs must be laughing all day long when they watch the American policy and how we are financing what they're doing. Uh, I mean, it's it's a joke, and we need to replace this administration with an administration who can be firm with Middle East uh, foes because that is all that they understand. Yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. In fact, one quick follow up on that, and then we'll get into SB eighty three, which is very important to this and more. Um, to let you know how unfearful they are and how little respect they have for American strength and the weak president that's over there now shuffling along and uh, trying to carry on coherent conversations. Just over an hour ago, 
uh, Iran's foreign minister posted an ominous tweet that says time is running out for Israel. Hossein Amir Abdelhalian uh, posted the tweet after Hamas blamed Israel for that blast at the hospital. Uh, quote, after the terrible crime of the Zionist regime and the bombing and massacre of more than 1,000 innocent women and children in the hospital, the time has come for the global unity of humanity against this fake regime, more hated than ISIS and kill and its killing machine. Time is over. Uh, and that's in capital letters. That's the message sent by the Iranians. Um, they have no fear whatsoever of Israel nor of their allies in the United States. And, and what I fear more than the threats of Iran or any other Middle East country is the, I fear the lack of cogent and, and passionate response from our president. Uh, I, I do not feel comfortable uh, knowing that he's uh, he's in charge here and uh, is going to have to respond to that. His being in Israel, I think, was a huge mistake. I think, I think, in my personal opinion, Bob, I believe that he he went there to try to moderate uh, Netanyahu and his response. Uh, agree. I think um, I think he's going to throw Netanyahu under the bus ultimately, but I agree that this needs to be taken to its natural conclusion. And Hamas, which is not a country, and some of these students think Hamas is a country, uh, unfortunately, uh, needs to be eliminated because they are they are sworn to the elimination of a people. And we we cannot stand for that in the world community. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. I said that at the top of my show this morning. I believe Biden is over there. He's giving the public sentiments, you know, we stand with you. You are not alone, you know, to Netanyahu and the Jewish state. Uh, but I think privately he's absolutely telling him what the, the left is saying in Congress right now, which is proportionate response. Yes, you have a right to defend yourself, but please be proportionate. Try to minimize the civilian casualties. In other words, let Hamas go on. Do not wipe them right. out, root and branch. Let them reconstitute themselves. And in six, eight months, maybe a year or two, they'll come back with round two, uh, or maybe even earlier than that, of what they started on October 7th. You cannot negotiate peace between two parties when one party is sworn to the elimination of the other. Exactly. It's that yeah. simple. That is exactly right, and uh, and and Joe Biden either does not know that or does not care about that because he's got other uh, other uh, ambitions and other agendas to uh, to advance. So, Senator, so we're talking about what's going on at the college campus level uh, in Ohio and around the country. Let's talk about Senate Bill eighty three. Uh, I checked this morning, and uh, sure enough, I'm disappointed once again on where it stands. It of course has been passed by the Senate. It's out of House committee now. It's under quote reported by committee, whatever that means. Then it has to be voted on and passed by the house seems like the last time we talked it was in the same place why are they not moving well we, we actually have been moving uh it, it maybe hasn't been reported as much but i've been working very closely with uh, uh representative tom young who's chairman of the house higher ed committee we're making a few ad- adjustments to the uh and amendments to the bill uh and it will uh, be presented to the house committee next week uh, it will be reviewed, and uh, it eventually, uh, a week later, I believe, will be voted out of committee uh, and recommended for for uh, t- taking it to the floor of the House in uh, the middle of November. Um, <clears throat> so the bill is not dead. It was reported by... No, I didn't think it was uh, dead. Very, I, oh, I apologize. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I know it's not dead. I'm looking at the legislature, web, legislature website and, uh, and looking at the status report here. And, and again, as I said, right. it says in-house committee, and then it has to get to reported by the committee and then passed by the House. So uh, it's not right. dead, but it is moving just really slowly, and I don't understand why. Um, but but you, you're confident that in a week it'll get out of committee? 
I, I believe so, and uh, w- within a week or two. And the reason it's been slowed is because the House, if you look at the House schedule for their floor sessions when they vote, uh, they had a session last week, uh, and they don't have another session scheduled until the middle of November. So things can't get passed if they're not in session. Yeah. So and that's that's up to the Speaker, and I, I don't have any certainly any input into that. But that also obviously slows legislation down. But there are, there are, I can tell you for sure that there are uh, lots of things going on about the bill. We're doing some fine-tuning. I got one or two issues that we're still working through here with the House, but we're working closely together because I think there's a lot of people in the House who understand that this bill is necessary because what we're seeing on campuses now in terms of this influence of the Marxist socialist faculty members around the country uh, and in the state of Ohio, that, that this is what we're, this is the result of things swinging so far to the left and not being balanced and not, uh, uh, you know, not having uh, diversity of opinion on campus. This is the kind of result you get when yes. that goes unabated. And 80, Senate Bill 83 uh, is, is going to be a major step in trying to move things uh, more, more closely to the center. The Ohio Higher Education Enhancement Act, and it's going to give people, you know, students a right to free speech without threat of reprisal by, uh, by the universities, you know, by the, by the, the socialist Marxist professors you're talking about, administrators or any other disciplinary organizations. It's extraordinarily important. And right now, I mean, it's something that could be very, very helpful. You can't be pro-Israel. You can't be in support right. of, of, of the Jewish state. Uh, you're called a Zionist. You're attacked. I mean, quite literally, these Palestinian pro protests are getting so out of hand on many campuses, they're chasing down people carrying signs or Israeli flags, chasing them down, taking them, tearing them up, stomping on them, and in some cases assaulting them, because there is no belief in equal free expression. Um, if you right. aren't with the, the, the mob, you are a victim of the mob, is essentially what it's come down to on these campuses. Well, and this has become a very local issue since we're in uh, northeastern Ohio, Bob. You know, Cleveland State University, the faculty senate uh, back uh, in, in, uh, in I think it was in May, uh, voted before we even introduced any amendments or changes to the bill originally. They voted a no, no confidence in this bill. Now, it doesn't have any technical or official uh, uh, status, but it, it, and, and the president, the, the, the president supported it as well uh, against this bill. And so, of course, the faculty, the entrenched faculty um, who, who have enjoyed 40 or 50 years of doing things their way, of course they're going to resist any change uh, because they want to keep doing what they've been doing and not welcoming uh, diversity of thought. Uh, they want to keep spending taxpayers' money uh, in, in, on programs that really don't impact students' ability to find good jobs. And I was very disappointed in Cleveland State's uh, faculty union and in in the president uh, for not supporting at least some parts of Senate Bill 83. We could argue some of them, certainly, but they took a carte blanche approach and just said, no, we don't like the entire bill. I find it hard to believe that a bunch of intellectuals who make a living supposedly being intellectuals would take that kind of a broad reaction to a bill that has a number of uh, very important elements in it. Senator, I want to ask you about an article that ran uh, in the Plain Dealer last one week ago. One week ago today, last Wednesday. Headlined, 
Senate Bill 83 dumbs down Ohio's American government and history standards. This op-ed by, uh, by a professor uh, at Ohio State uh, named uh, Steve Rissing. He directed Ohio State University's introductory biology program. Uh, Professor Emeritus, I guess I should say he is now, uh, from Ohio State. He argues that Senate Bill 83 is going to essentially dumb down government and history standards. And I know you have a response. Go ahead. That, that is absolutely absurd. And uh, only a biology professor would, uh, would would make that statement, I suppose. Uh, the, but look, the the the, the bill uh, is is the intent of that section of the bill is to make sure that we we don't graduate students, regardless of their major, architecture, biology, you know, et cetera, that that they leave with at least a three hour course exposure or something equivalent, uh, and we make allowances for equivalencies in the bill. Uh, that they know something about the American government. We have way too many graduates here, many of them protesting right now on the uh, Israeli issue, who don't understand the fundamentals of our Constitution, of free speech, uh, of, of free expression, uh, they, because they don't know. They don't know the history of, and the founding of our country. All they focus on are the um, what they're told by their professors are, are the sins of our past. And there were many things that we, you know, our history... Has the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I like to say. But we we don't want to just focus on the ugly. We have corrected a number of ugly things that that were in place in this country. Uh, But they're not getting that balanced approach. And so I don't know what dumbing down. I think the dumbing down has occurred occurred by the writer of that article, uh, editorial, because because if, if he really understood the bill and even reached out to talk to me about it, he would have a different viewpoint because this is really intended to help students make sure that when they graduate from a university in a state of Ohio, in one of our public universities, they have been exposed to founding documents, the Constitution, uh, and um, in other related um, writings that we have outlined in the uh, in the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what on earth would be wrong with that. Yeah, well, that's because you're not a radical leftist, because uh, that's what would be wrong with that. They what they choose to make up their history as it goes along and rewrite and revise that which we already know, and uh, that of course is uh, contrary to what uh, what should be happening in our educational institutions at the highest level and below as well. Uh, Senator Jerry Serino, thank you for speaking out on this. Thank you for uh, your common sense approach to this. Uh, we're going to continue to watch very closely the passage or the uh, the progress of 83. And next time we talk, we'll talk more about that ridiculous Cleveland bill and, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> plan to uh, take uh, millions and millions of, uh, of city taxpayer dollars to give them to unelected individuals to spend as they wish. I know you're working very hard on stopping that at the state level as well. Next time we talk, we'll do that. And I appreciate your time, sir. Great. Thank you, Bob. 1057 timeout. Colonel Kurt after the top of the hour. The answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Tell you what, there was a lot of good content from Senator Jerry Serino this morning. Terrific conversation. We also spoke, if you missed us, in the first hour with uh, Jason D. Hill, professor at DePaul University, asking the big question, is Israel prepared to do what needs to be done here? Will they uh, risk, of course, alienating even further the international community that despises them, as well as putting themselves in danger from the Arab countries that surround them by doing what needs to be done to protect their citizens? Uh, God willing, they do. God willing, they do exactly that. And by the way, we're going to continue to talk about why it is that none of the Arab nations surrounding Israel are willing to take Palestinian refugees from Gaza. Why is that? What could it be? Why does Jordan not want uh, uh, Palestinians coming in? Why does Egypt not want Palestinians? Why does Syria not want the Palestinians? And yet we are supposed to take the Palestinians. What, are you kidding me? That's one of the issues that we have to deal with here. Will Israel do what it needs to do to protect itself? Will the United States do what it needs to do to protect itself? That might involve something like, I don't know, sealing the border and perhaps a moratorium on any asylum seekers coming to the United States in any way, shape, or form. Because right now we are sitting ducks and our leaders do not care. That last part I stole from the headline of an article on townhall.com by senior columnist and our friend Colonel Kurt Schlichter, who joins us now with more analysis on AM 1420, The Answer. Colonel Kurt, good to talk to you again, my friend. How are you? Hey, good to be here. So, you know, this is... um, I want to veer to the presidential politics part of this for just a moment. Um, Nikki Haley has expressed uh, a willingness and, in fact, has endorsed um, a policy of taking up to one million Gaza refugees and providing them uh, with refuge here in the United States. Governor Ron DeSantis, also a presidential candidate, has uh, joined Donald Trump in saying absolutely no Gaza refugees in the United States. And the reason why? Nikki Haley, strangely enough, confirmed. Colonel Kirchie said in an interview with Jake Tapper that they don't want uh, the uh, Arab nations around uh, in the Middle East don't want Palestinians coming because they don't want Hamas in the neighborhood. Yet she wants Hamas in the neighborhood. What kind of bizarre, uh, bizarre world are we in? Well, she's in the world of 2004. Um, she, she's at the cutting edge of the uh, Republican Party of 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, as soon as she got caught on it, suddenly she starts tap dancing. I, I, like, I've been tired of Nikki Haley's act for a long time. The, the cringy girl power, um, uh, Jeb Bush in a skirt vibe is just too much for me. Uh, she's going nowhere in the, uh, uh, in, in the nomination race. She's treading water in a sea of uh, failure. And, uh, this is, but she this is, is rising, why. though. The reason, the reason it matters, no, no, Colonel... No, she's not. She, she, she went from nothing to a little, like, nothing. Uh, she, she's like fourth. There, look, this is a race. Now, now, I might, I might be wrong, Colonel, but I, I, I'm calling you Colonel now. <laughs> uh, Colonel Kurt, I might be wrong, but I thought that New Hampshire, she had passed DeSantis. Did she not? Well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, New Hampshire. 
Um, look, she's 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 a relic. She's a dinosaur. She's obsolete. And the same kind of uh, soft, uh, corporate-pleasing republicanism just isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, the fact is, to the extent this is uh, uh, anyone's paying attention to the race right now, because there's so many other things going on. Obviously, Donald Trump has a huge lead. Uh, Ron DeSantis remains the really the only viable opposition. And in fact, I, I look, I, I prefer DeSantis because I think Donald Trump will have a great deal of difficulty winning in November. Though if he won, I will no, absolutely support him if the GOP decides to pick him. But, you know, all these, I, 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 this is a time of frivolity. This is a time of frivolous people, Bob. Uh, everyone from Matt Gates to the nitwits uh, uh, of the moderate wing, quote-unquote, who won't vote for Jim Jordan as a speaker, from the Democrats who uh, uh, join in in the heaviness of the speaker during this emergency, to the alleged president, it, 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 it's this is one of the most dangerous times we've faced in the last century, and it seems like many of the people in senior positions are jokes and children. Yeah, they they are, and I cannot trust anybody in that regime, in the Biden regime, to do what is right by the safety of the homeland and also, of course, with our allies there. Um, Colonel Kurt, um, you you spoke in your article, you wrote in your article about a conversation you had with Robert O'Brien, the uh, Trump uh, national security advisor, about the dangers here in the homeland from the military-age males. What did he tell you? Well, look, Robert O'Brien is probably the most respected member of the Trump administration. Donald Trump, uh, again, a guy I like. He also hired a lot of idiots and clowns and guys who'd be clowning themselves like General Milley and uh, a bunch of others. Robert O'Brien is a guy who's universally respected. Republicans respect him. Democrats respect him because he's a serious and smart guy. And, Bob, he's worried. He's worried because we're allowing thousands of military-age males into the country. And, you know... I, I think we've seen that Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Iran, it, they're, they're really all essentially the same thing, even though they believe they're different or not. These people are not idiots. They are cunning. Okay? They are clever. And, you know, Trump was right to describe them as smart because they are. It doesn't make any sense to me to uh, somehow downplay your enemy. Uh, this is an enemy that managed to trick the Israelis and get the drop on them temporarily. Why wouldn't they do that here? If I was evil as a military leader, well, first of all, if I was evil as a military leader, I'd have taken Taiwan. From, by, the, the Chinese would have taken Taiwan. But uh, I, would, uh, uh, I would do exactly this. I, I, I'd flood America with sleeper cells, and I would await a time... Uh, to use them for maximum violence, to leverage the cowardice and weakness of America's ruling class to get what I wanted through acts of massive terror. Twenty years ago, that didn't work. They tried it on uh, 9-11, and while there were problems with our response, we fought them for 20 years and killed tons of them, uh, which they didn't count on. I don't know if we've got that kind of courage now i don't know if we have that courage or that capability now either that's another question well, that's about the state too. of our military yeah oh uh, it's a disaster it's... Uh, that, look it, 
our military cannot fight and win the wars it needs to win. Because it, it like I keep saying, it is an essentially unserious institution. You know, I was talking to Seb Gorka, a friend of mine. He, he, he is also associated with war colleges, where you go to train generals. You know, my dogs are now howling. It's a mere mention of Millie. Um, the, we, we, we have both experienced having, you know, senior colonels get together to discuss the major, uh, threat, strategic threat facing the United States. And about half the time, what they will come up with is the weather, climate change. It, that, this is an essential, you know, to cater to the weird obsession of Chardonnay-soaked liberal suburban wine women, which is what what climate change is. Climate change is a hoax uh, designed to deprive people of power and freedom while also filling the void that religion used to fill. It, it, to, to imagine that is America's greatest strategic threat and have people leading our soldiers repeat that, it, it's disastrous. It shows a complete intellectual and moral bankruptcy on the part of our military. I'd like to know why you're glossing over, Colonel Kurt, the extraordinary threat of white nationalists and white supremacists, white uh, white American males, because they're well, right well, up they, there, they, aren't they, with uh, with climate change? You're, 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 you're denying that? Well, they've sure, sure done a great job on, on that front, because uh, essentially white males... Uh, were the backbone of America's combat powers, you know, rural and suburban guys. When I was in the military, you know, my, my mom was, I guess, became a judge, and my dad was uh, an engineer. Uh, I was the richest guy I knew, okay? I was also driving a Chevrolet Beretta, okay? But I was the richest guy I knew in the military, all right? It is it is made up of a, a largely working and middle-class uh Many of them white, uh, although uh, although uh, uh, you know uh, great numbers of uh, uh, black and Hispanic and other uh, great Americans uh, step up to defend their country too. But by alienating that group, which they have done, they're now in a recruiting crisis. And who who who, who do they expect to who do they expect to fill the ranks? I mean, it's. It, when, when you, they've gotten to the point, Bob, where veterans will not will actively recommend against joining the military. Seventy percent of military people join as legacies. Dad was in the military. Uncle Joe was in the uh, military. Grandpa was in the military, and the, and now they want to too. And now you know, Dad, your uncle, your grandpa are saying, "Don't join. They hate you. They hate you." And they'll tell you they do. We've got too many. We have too many white fighter pilots. You know, I don't give a damn if every fighter pilot is a uh, lesbian Hindu of color. If they're the best fighter pilots. Well, since when did merit uh, get into this conversation? In well, the modern military, yeah, I know. In the well, modern military, merit has no business in this conversation any more than it does in corporate America, or or in uh, in uh, incoming freshman classes of colleges. For crying out loud, well, that's merit true doesn't too. Matter. Yeah, welcome to my those. article on Thursday. <laughs> well, <laughs> on I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We might have to have you back on to talk about that. But but sticking with this one for now, so. <clears throat> 
with respect to uh, Biden over there now probably telling Bibi Netanyahu to go proportional. Make sure your your response is proportional. Go do what you got to do because we got to you, know, you got a right to defend yourself. But well, this is the cry. As a matter of fact, the cry well, from the Hamas caucus, the the Hamas caucus in Congress actually promo- proposed a resolution or put forth a resolution uh, demanding that President Biden negotiate a ceasefire so that nobody is firing at anybody anymore. Let the Israelis well, I, bleed. Look, I, 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 I support a ceasefire as soon as all the Hamas guys are dead. But proportionality, uh, I, I can wear my lawyer hat or I can wear my soldier hat for it. Proportionality does not mean even. Proportionality means that there's an enemy uh, uh, unit within a, uh, uh, a town. You don't necessarily level the town, but you level the enemy unit, and, yeah, you're going to kill all the civilians around them. Not disproportionately. That, that's what it means. But, you know, I don't care anymore about what they think or what they say, because as we saw yesterday with this nonsense about the uh, hospital, they, they'll just lie. We cannot allow ourselves to empower our enemies by leveraging our morality with lies. So ignore them. Here's the mission. Kill all the Hamas guys. Anyone that wants to surrender, you kill. Hide in a school. Hit the school. Hide in the hospital. Hit the hospital. That's that. This is in accord with the law of war. And this crap about uh, or you can't cut off their food and water. What do you think a siege is? When did sieges stop being sieges? A siege is you cut off an enemy city, and you cut off their food and you cut off their water, and then they surrender. You don't like it. Give up your hostages. Walk out with your hands off. You know, we, we, war, you know, the cliche is war is hell. Yeah. Maybe you should have thought of that before you went out. Before you engaged in it. Yeah. Exactly. Before you started a war, you might want to think about what it's like to be on the receiving end of war and for your people as well. But obviously, it's not just that they don't care about them. I was talking to my last guest. They are actively sacrificing them. That's what they do when they put these, uh, uh, you know, put their munitions yeah. in hospitals and schools. And then, uh, and then, oh, my gosh, you you fired and killed, uh, you know, people in a hospital or a school. Uh, it's what their intent is. Kurt, I want to I want to pivot to back to the homeland here because that's what your your our article is about. <clears throat> I want to ask you if you agree with Vivek Ramaswamy's tweet. As president, I will implement an asylum and refugee moratorium until our borders are fully secured and our asylum laws are updated, period. That means no refugees from Gaza or elsewhere. Gaza refugees intercepted at the border should be immediately screened for links to Hamas. If yes, they should be extradited to Israel for justice. If no, they should be returned to the last safe country they transited. This need not be complicated. What do you think? Well, uh, I mean, we should have been doing that years ago. I mean, that's just... You know, it's not like Vivek's uh, uh, plowing new ground here. That, that That's common sense, that what, what should be done. Of course, you know, the Nikki Haley's of the world won't do it. Uh, the Democrats actively want these scumbags in the country. you got to understand, the, the, you know, the Republicans are in terminal. So are the Democrats, because you have half the Democrats who actively cheer on these uh, semi-human barbarians. Uh, remember, when they talk about decolonializing, that means killing the colonialists. And guess what you and your listeners in the are? Yeah. And you got half the Democrat Party who's actively for that. And you have another part of the Democrat Party going, wait, what? Wait, what? 
And uh, so, so you know, both, both American parties are being shaken up. Uh, unfortunately, a Democrat party uh, isn't going to be able to get the stones to do and what it has to do uh, to seal the border because, of course, they, they think, you know, importing the third world is helpful to them. They're going, what they're going to find is it's a little Rwanda. Um, well said. Uh, they they will. Um, and, and last one for you, Colonel Crook. Tom Cotton said a couple of days ago that not only should we seal the border, and not only should we uh, get rid of anybody you know that uh, uh, you know that has ties to Hamas or ties to any of these uh, 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 terrorist groups and so forth. Uh, what Cotton said is we need to actually take anybody who is here legally on a visa. That is fr- that has shown any public support for Palestine or Palestinian causes or Hamas or anything of that nature. We need to deport these individuals, take their visas from them, and deport them. Uh, well, should we go that far? Would have if I was uh, uh, Biden. Of course, I can't be Biden because I'm not a desiccated old corrupt pervert who's senile. Uh, I would uh, I would have pulled the visas of every Palestinian and said you got 48 hours to get out. If you don't get out, we're going to throw you out. And you're never coming back if you overstay your visa. So get on a plane, get the hell out of our country. Uh, of course we ought to do that. Now, some people might go, well, you know, freedom of speech. Everyone like, wait a minute. I would have bought that argument maybe 10 years ago. I would have bought it. That would be great. Those were the rules. You know, let, you know, people can come, even foreigners can come here and say what they want. But you know what, Bob? The left changed the rules about hate speech. And I think supporting people who butcher babies and women and rape women and children, uh, that counts as hate speech. The, the, the left changed the rules. So I'm simply saying we, we just need to apply the new rules, much like you would apply a suppository, a very big and pointy one. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't even be a discussion to say that people who are here publicly expressing support for Hamas and Palestinians uh, should be booted, and and just we'll go back to uh, go back to the obvious. The last time the Jewish people were attacked in such horrific and and and, and unthinkable ways, uh, it was by the Nazis. Can you imagine pro-Nazi groups being allowed to operate on college campuses, hold these rallies and protests and so forth, and not be you know removed from the country? Because that's what this is. If you're if you're pro if you're pro Hamas. It's essentially the same as being pro-Nazi in 19, from 1939 to 1945. Well, look, uh, again, these are the new rules, as some of these little mutants are finding now. My, my favorite thing is, like, the Harvard people, and they've they're got their $215,000 corporate law job, and they're very excited, and they sign on to the, hey, Hamas is great, you know, kill more ravers, and... Suddenly, their law off, uh, law firm offers are getting pulled, and it's just it's it's just hilarious to me. Uh, oh, it's cancel culture. Yeah, okay. And I thought you were for that. Yeah. Look, we have uh, look. Uh, freedom isn't a suicide pact. I'm completely indifferent to the uh, cries of injustice by these little psychopaths. And uh, the more they suffer, the better. It's an important lesson. Uh, America is suffering a giant uh, crisis of moral illiteracy. Uh, Time to teach them. 
Very well said. Colonel Kurt Schlichter, senior columnist at townhall.com, regular guest uh, fill-in host uh, on Salem Media as well. Kurt, it's a pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for having me. You got it. 1127, we'll take a time out. Got one segment to go. You can use it if you wish. I've got a lot of information to share with you still if you choose not to. Jim Jordan is going to be up again for the second vote very, very soon today. We'll talk about that if you want to. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Wallach-a-doodle. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So I just got a question from a friend via text message that said, Please tell me you haven't fallen for that Vivek crap. He's phony. He's fake. He's a double agent, blah, blah, blah. Uh, No, I haven't quote-unquote fallen for the Vivek crap. I have heard a lot of very, very, very good things from Vivek Ramaswamy. He is not my first candidate. He is not my first choice in this Republican field. I've made it very, very clear that Ron DeSantis is my first choice. Having said that, I know it's 99.5% certain that Donald Trump is going to be our nominee, and I'm going to fully support him. If Vivek Ramaswamy was our nominee, somehow I would support him. Anything uh, is better than what we have on the Democrat side of, of the aisle. It is, uh, it is evil that lives there. Um, it is it is the destruction of America, which, of course, was more gently described by Barack Obama as the fundamental transformation of America that they are seeking. And so, of course, I don't support them. Vivek Ramaswamy um, is not my first choice, but he is he has said a lot of very strong things that I do support and agree with many things I don't. Is he trustworthy? I don't know. I hope to have a long-form interview with him coming up on my TV program, which starts one week from yesterday on uh, on October 24th, Roku Television, Roku Channel 529. Uh, it's True Blue. But I hope to have Vivek on very, very soon so we can go into depth on some of these things. But I will tell you that he's right about this. The, uh, the, the, the tweet that he made in response to the issue as Nikki Haley is calling for Gaza refugees to be taken into the United States. Ron DeSantis has hammered her for that. Um, President Trump has also uh, agreed uh, that we should have no, uh, no uh, Gaza refugees brought into the United States. And Vivek Ramaswamy's statement was just as strong. So I support it, and I'm going to be fair about it. Uh, Ramaswamy's full tweet reads... Others are playing silly political gotcha games on what to do with the Gazan refugees, but here's the truth. We need to admit that the U.S. has a self-created fake refugee problem that is systemic. You can't cure a cancer until you acknowledge its existence. As president, I will implement an asylum and refugee moratorium until our borders are fully secured and our asylum laws are updated, period. I agree with that. Sorry. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, whether you believe him or not is another story, but I agree with him. That means no refugees from Gaza or elsewhere. Gazan refugees intercepted at the border should be immediately screened for links to Hamas. If yes, they should be extradited to Israel for justice. If no, they should be returned to the last safe safe country that they transited. This need not be complicated. I agree with every word of that. Like I said, doesn't mean I believe everything that he says is something he would do or could do if he was president, but the message is the right message, and for now, I will support the message. If Donald Trump tweeted that, I would say, spot on, I agree with that message. If Ron DeSantis tweeted it, which he has pretty much done something similar, I would agree with it. I'm not going to 
try to pretend I know the motives of every candidate when they say something. If I agree with what they say, I'm going to tell you that. And I agree with what he said there. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, Westlake. Joe, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Joe. Good morning, Bob. Your last guest uh, essentially said words to the effect that it was acceptable for a hospital to be targeted in war. I'd like to say that is wrong and horrible, and there's three reasons why. Number one, morality, the Geneva Conventions that's agreed upon. Number two, there's a political aspect to every war, and giving the enemy uh, you know, PR ammunition by doing atrocities is a terrible idea. And number three, the prime interest of the U.S. in this war for the American people is to avoid World War III. And we're looking at a, a real possibility of that if we, you know, if atrocities cause other parties to get involved, that would quickly escalate. Now, chances are this was not a tr- an atrocity. Chances are this was at most a mistake by one or the other sides, because both of them are smart enough, or maybe at least one of them, I should say, to, to, to know to not do that for those reasons I mentioned. And one final point. Uh, Joe, I, I got to interrupt that, before you continue because I, I'm just going to disagree with you, particularly on that last point. Um, I, I don't think it's a mistake. If it was a mistake, it was one they are not sad that they made. And I'm talking about the fact that that missile came from, or that rocket that hit that hospital came from Hamas. It came from within Gaza, and it landed in Gaza as 20 to 30 to 40 percent of their missile and rocket launches do. They go off course, they miss fire, and they come down and they hit something in Gaza. Sometimes it's nothing, sometimes it's a hospital, like it is in this particular case. Given the fact that those hospitals are where they store many other munitions, other rockets, other missiles, massive stockpiles of weaponry, they store them in hospitals and in schools, and then they fire from those locations, knowing that when the return fire comes, it's going to hit those things, and you're right. Then they use it for propaganda purposes to blame uh, the enemy, to blame Israel, saying they targeted a school. No, they didn't. They targeted the place where missiles were fired from. So when that errant missile from, from Hamas hit that hospital, it also struck all of the other munitions that were stored in there, and it's made a much bigger explosion than an ordinary rocket strike would. I don't call that a mistake. I call that an attempted uh, attack because that, mon- that that uh, missile was was... It was aimed at Tel Aviv. It was an attempted attack that blew up in their own faces. That's not a mistake. It's their own. Uh, it's their own inability to be precise. And uh, and but the sad part about it is they don't care because they're going to get PR out of this by blaming Israel. Uh, that that very well could be. And one final quick point mm-hmm. I brought up in a previous call that we still don't know the facts about how this thing started. In my opinion, we need to know those facts because we're looking at America getting involved. And I say America first. Let's do what's best for us. Yes, we do need to round up a thousand serial killers or help with that or whatever. But we have to think of ourselves first and foremost, America first. And Charlie Kirk mentioned that we don't know the facts and the facts are suspicious. Thanks. The que- Thank you for the call, Joe. The questions do have to be asked. I agree with Charlie Kirk. I think some of those answers are coming out, by the way. But the question does have to be asked, you know, about uh, what they knew and when they knew it and whether or not they could have stopped it and whether or not there was a stand-down order and other things. That doesn't mean it's an accusation. Charlie's made it clear he's not accusing. He's asking questions that I think are fair to ask. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you have that. Charlie and Brownell. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, yes. Yeah, my, my brother-in-law is 
Palestinian. He was over Sunday. I tried to show him some pictures and sh- and explain what's going on. He has a whole alternate facts. He just believes, you know, Israel's totally to blame. There's no speaking to him, no talking to him at all. It was just basically, you know, falling on deaf ears. He shows me a bunch of pictures of uh, Palestinian babies shot and killed. But, you know, I'm thinking there's no place for these people to go. No one will take them. Their, their neighbors won't take them. I think the only viable thing is to break up Gaza into, like, 10 zones, uh, manageable zones, 100,000 people in each zone, and they like reservations, basically, and they have to stay there. That's the only viable, or there's, you know, this is going to happen again and again. So that's, I, I just see that's the only solution. I, I don't disagree with you at all, Charlie. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the phone call. And I'm sorry you have to deal with that kind of thing from your, uh, I think you said, brother-in-law. Um, Chuck in Cleveland. Hi, Chuck. Go ahead. Bob, the only solution to this problem is to cut off the head of the snake. Okay, I'm a military person. I don't believe you are a military guy. So what you have to do is you have to cut off the head of the snake, which, in other words, is whoever started it. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.